0: Please open your Bibles with me to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 10, verse 14, is what we'll be starting with this morning. This is a second part in the study of God's sovereignty, sovereignty. Uh, God is in control, part two. Last week we looked at some creative aspects in God's sovereignty in His creation, And we're going to continue that study this morning, starting with Deuteronomy, chapter 10, verse 14. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth and all that is in it. Bow with me. Lord God, our Creator, we thank you for being our sovereign God We thank you for the comfort of knowing that you are in control and that you protect us. As we study your sovereignty today, Lord, help us to see you in the words of your word and see how you have worked through the men that we read in this scripture. And Lord, help us to apply it to our lives in the boldness of our faith in you knowing that you are in control. In Jesus' name, amen. So, last week we talked about some of the aspects of creation. All the various creations that God created. Everything from the heavens to the earth and everything on it. And because he created it, he owns it. God owns everything. Now we like ownership, especially men, especially if it's something we've built. I built this shed. It's mine. I'm going to use it however I want. Well, that's pretty minimal compared to God's ownership. Not only does he own everything, but he owns us because he created us. In Psalms 24, verse 1, it says, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and all those who dwell in it. So God owns everything. The earth, everything in it, everything on it, everything above it. It's all His. He made it. Psalms 50, verses 10 and 11 for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and everything that moves in the field is mine. And again in 1 Chronicles, chapter 29, starting in verse 11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion, O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all, and in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. God owns everything. Because he owns everything, he controls everything. Point two in your notes. He who owns it, controls it. Pretty simple. God controls the heavens and the earth. Point A in... The nose under God controls everything. Look at Psalms chapter 148, starting in verse 1. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Praise Him, sun and moon. Praise Him, all stars of light. Praise Him, highest heavens, and the waters that are above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded, and they were created. He has also established them forever and ever. He has made a decree which will not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, sea monsters and all the deeps, fire and hail, snow and clouds, Stormy wind fulfilling his word. Look at that last verse again. Verse 8: Fire and hail, snow and clouds, stormy wind. And I highlighted this: fulfilling his word. All of these things by the hand of God for his glory. Look at Luke chapter 19 starting in verse 39. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But Jesus answered, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. So even something as useless to us as a stone or a rock, God created that for his glory. Not only did he create it, he sovereignly created it, he sovereignly controls it to the point where he can make that rock worship him and literally cry out. In Matthew chapter 8, starting in verse 24, And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves, but Jesus himself was asleep, and they came to him and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. He said to them, Why are you afraid, you men of little faith? He got up and rebuked the winds in the sea, and it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Now, if you've been around water at all, in stormy conditions, you know when, when the storm subsides, the winds go down gradually, and the waves even more gradually. That's normally how it works. But in this case, Jesus calmed the wind and the waves instantly. At his command, there was no more breeze. There was not even a little flicker of movement in the water. It was perfectly calm. Because it is his, he controls it. Amos Chapter 5, verse 8. He who made the Pleiades and Orion and changed the deep darkness into morning, who also darkens day into night, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name. The last portion of this stood out to me as I read this. Who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out over the surface of the earth, the Lord is his name. We have all these scientific explanations, why it rains, why it snows, why the weather does what it does. But here it says that the Lord calls the waters up to himself and then pours them out on the earth. He sovereignly decides when the waters are gonna come to him and when they're gonna come to the earth and where they're gonna fall on the earth he owns it and he controls it in the middle of amos it takes me into my point to be sovereign control over light in the middle of that verse he says and changes deep darkness into morning who also darkens day into night it's not about the sun moon and stars Darkness and light are all at the hand of God. Moving on to point C. Sovereign control over vegetation. In Isaiah chapter 55, starting in verse 10, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout, and furnishing seed to the sower, and bread to the eater. So my word be which goes forth from my mouth. You will not return to me empty, without accomplishing what I desire, and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. For you will go out with joy, and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth in shouts of joy before you, and all the trees of the fields will clap their hands." Instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up. And instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up. And it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. There's a lot of overlap in this scripture. I could have used it previously. But this last portion really fit with the vegetation portion, which you'll notice I have mirrored from last week's study. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. God can cause the trees of the field to clap their hands because he created them, he owns them, he controls them. The trees do just as God pleases. Instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up because God told the thorn bush not to grow and the cypress to grow. Moving on to Matthew chapter 21, starting in verse 18. Now in the morning, when he was returning to the city, he became hungry. Seeing a lone lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves. And he said to it, no longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. With a word, God, uh, God, the Son, Jesus, cursed the fig tree, and it was no more. Moving on to point D, sovereign control over living creatures. Jonah chapter 1. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. God appointed a specific fish for a specific purpose. That fish's day, that, uh, excuse me, the fish's job that day was to swallow Jonah. And not only just to swallow him, but keep him there for three days. We're going to look at more of Jonah later. Look at Matthew 17, verse 24. When they came to Capernaum, those who collected the two drachma tax came to Peter and said, Does your teacher not pay the two drachma tax? He said, Yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first, saying, What do you think, Simon? From who do the kings of the earth collect customs or poll tax? From their sons or from strangers? When Peter said from strangers, Jesus said to him, then the sons are exempt. However, so that we do not offend them, go to the sea and throw a hook in and take the first fish that comes up and when you open this mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that. Take that and give it to them for you and me. So here we have another fish story. God appoints a fish to come to the shore of the sea so that Peter can catch it with his hook to get the coin out of his mouth because Peter opened his mouth out of, out of line. So you see, even when we're out of line, God is still in control and he can take care of anything that we screw up. Genesis chapter 30, 37 through 39. Then Jacob took fresh rods of poplar and almond and plain trees and peeled white stripes in them exposing the white, which was in the rods. He set the rods, which he had peeled in front of the flocks in the gutters, even in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink and they made it where they came to drink. So the flocks made it by the rods and the flocks brought forth striped, speckled and spotted. Now, I don't know how many of you have been involved with animal husbandry and, and uh, breeding livestock but I don't care what kind of stick you put in front of them or stick in their water when they go to breed. It's not going to change the color of their offspring. There's a lot longer story here with, with Jacob and a, a backstory, but God blessed Jacob through this and allowed him to grow his flock. God changed the color of the offspring. It had nothing to do with the rods that he placed or they placed them, it was his obedience. Look at Numbers chapter 22, starting at verse 28. And the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Then Balaam said to the donkey, Because you made a mockery of me. If if there had been a sword in my hand, I would have killed you by now. The donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden all your life to this day? Have I ever been accustomed to to do so to you? And he said, no. Now, I don't know about you, but this has always been an interesting section of Scripture to me because Balaam's having a conversation with his donkey. And we don't see anything here that Indicates that he thinks this is odd anyway. He just carries on this conversation with his donkey. Well, if we go back in time, what led up to this event was uh, Balak came to Balaam and said, Come with us, in a short nutshell. And uh, the Lord told Balaam not to go, and Balaam told Balak, Nope, I can't go. God says I can't go. Well, eventually, Balak got up and went. God and his donkey headed along, and all of a sudden his donkey stopped. And his donkey wouldn't go. So he beat his donkey three times. Well, what the donkey saw and what Balaam didn't was that the Lord God had put an angel with a sword in front of that donkey. When that angel was revealed to Balaam, Balaam instantly hit the ground and prayed to God. Now this is one of my favorite verses in reference to speaking from the Word of God, particularly with speaking of myself. So I came up, with a little, came up with a little saying that I've had for quite a few years now, after getting a chuckle out of this little piece of Scripture. And I like to say, sometimes God speaks through the donkey, and sometimes He speaks in spite of the donkey, But God is sovereign and he can speak through a donkey if he needs to. Moving on from here, letter E, sovereign control over man. Now everything we've looked at last week and up to this point has all been culminating to this point. This is where God's sovereignty gets a little harder for us to swallow. Because This is where we have to turn over our control to God and we can do so willfully and make it easier on ourselves or we can go the hard way and we're going to see some that went the hard way. I broke this into three sections. The first section, God controls common men, people like you and me, no real status, we just get up in the morning, go to work, do our thing, live our lives, try to honor God. Look at Proverbs 16.9. This is a key verse in understanding God's relationship with us. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his step. Now there's probably been times where you've decided this is what I'm going to do I'm going this way but something happens you know I'm going this way well that wasn't a coincidence that was God's sovereignty because it's all inside of his plan and it all works out perfectly for his plan proverbs 19 21 many plans are in a man's heart but the the counsel of the Lord will stand. Again, we can make our plans, but they're still subject to the will of God. Now we're going to spend some time with Jonah, the practical application of God's control of a common man. If you turn to the book of Jonah, this is going to be a, a lengthy section I want to take a few pieces, but we need, we need to get the whole, the whole picture here. We need the context of everything that's going on here to really appreciate what is going on with Jonah and with God. So starting in verse 1, chapter 1 of Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up against me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, paid the fare, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. The Lord hurled a great wind on the sea, and there was a great storm on the sea, so that the ship was about to break up. Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried to his God. And they threw the cargo, which was in the ship, into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone below into the hold of the ship, laying down and fallen asleep. So the captain approached him and said, How is it that you are sleeping? Get up, call on your God. Perhaps your God will be concerned about us so that we will not perish. Each man said to his mate, Come let us cast lots, so we may learn on whose account this calamity has struck us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us now, on whose account has this calamity struck us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men became extremely frightened, and they told him, How could you do this? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. So he said to them, excuse me, so they said to him, What should we do? To you that the sea may become calm for us, for the sea was becoming increasingly stormy. He said to them, "Pick me up and throw me into the sea; then the sea will become calm for you. For I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you." However, the men rowed desperately to return to land, but they could not, for the sea was becoming even stormier against them. Then they called on the Lord and said, "We earnestly pray, O Lord, do not." Let us perish on account of this man's life, and do not put innocent blood on us. For you, O Lord, have done as you have pleased. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. Then the men feared the Lord greatly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Skipping over to chapter 2, verse 10. Then the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto the dry land. Skipping over to chapter 3, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city and proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. So as I mentioned earlier, we can choose to do it the easy way or the hard way. Jonah took the hard way. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. You see, Jonah didn't have a choice. He thought he had a choice. And he decided to exercise his free will against God's. There is so much in this book of Jonah, in this account. God caused this storm on the ship, which was so severe that it was destroying the ship. When they threw Jonah out of the ship God caused the sea to calm again immediately then he caused the fish to come swallow Jonah up let Jonah sit there for three days and three nights to think about what he did then the fish swims over to dry land all by the hand of God spits Jonah out and then God says to Jonah again go to Nineveh And Jonah gets up, and he goes to Nineveh. The story doesn't really end there. Um, If we go to the end of Jonah, chapter 4, I'm not going to read there. But if we read that chapter, we find out that uh, Jonah still was mad at God. He capitulated to God's sovereign will and did what God required of him, but he still didn't like it. Another thing God did with the events of Jonah's life in this period on this boat is, I don't know if you noticed, but early on, the captain and the crew referred to gods, small g. And they were willing to sacrifice Jonah or do whatever they needed to do to appease the gods to calm the sea. But as we got on into chapter 1 we see that those men began praying to God Almighty This wasn't just a work in Jonah's life this was a work in the life of all the men on that boat by God's sovereign hand Not only does God control common men Second section of this God controls kings. If we look at Proverbs chapter 21 verse 1, the king's heart is like the channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Good king, bad king, terrible evil man, God can still control the heart of that king, and he does. we'll look at a King Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter 4, verse 30 is where we're going to start. Now leading up to this point, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that was very troubling to him. The dream of a tree. The tree got destroyed and cut down and very troubling to King Nebuchadnezzar. So he called in Daniel to have his dream interpreted. Daniel interpreted the dream for him and then warned the king to repent, turn from his sins, because God was going to do this to him. Well, 12 months later, one year, Funny how it doesn't take us long to forget what just happened not that long ago. We find King Nebuchadnezzar here in Daniel chapter 4, verse 30. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? While the word was In the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared. Sovereignty has been removed from you, and you will be driven away from mankind, and your dwelling place will be with the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle, and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Immediately, the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled, and he was driven away from mankind and began eating grass like cattle, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. Now we read after this later on that King Nebuchadnezzar went through this period of time And when it was complete, he did recognize God Almighty and prayed and worshipped him. But like Nebuchadnezzar, it's easy for us to take pride in what we've done or what we think we've done, just like Nebuchadnezzar. He said, is this not Babylon the Great, which I I myself have, have built as a royal residence by the might of my power. No, no, it's not. It was built by God's power. The third section, God controls religious leaders. Acts chapter 9 starting in verse 1 <clears throat> Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, And suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, the one whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight. And inquire of the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul. For he is praying and has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he may regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales and he regained his sight and he got up and was baptized. Now there's a whole lot going on here and I couldn't even begin to open this whole scripture today. But in our context of God's sovereign control over men, There were a few things that stand out here pretty boldly. For this is the conversion of Saul before he becomes Paul. Back in verse 6, he was told, But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. There were no options given. He didn't say, if you want to, if you so choose, go ahead and go. No, this was a command. And he went. But this wasn't the only man that was commanded. Ananias. In fact, a very good contrast to our Jonah passage. Ananias didn't want to go see Saul. As he said, this was a guy that had been persecuting the Christians. He was a terrible man. But God told him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. And he went. We don't see any more complaints from Ananias. He didn't go the other way and have to get trained in the way that Jonah had to get trained. He was submissive to God's sovereign will. Another aspect in there, after Ananias went, or before he went, excuse me, God told Ananias what Saul was going to do after this point. He told him who he was. He said, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. He had already been chosen by God to do God's work, even though he was a very evil man. And furthermore, to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel. So this vile man, terribly persecuting the Christians, was already intended to be used of God and bear the name of God. Because God chose this man. And beyond that, God revealed a little part of what Saul was going to experience as Paul, after his conversion, for I will show him how I, how how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul was guaranteed suffering, but so were all of we, or so were all of us, to some degree. We're guaranteed some suffering as Christians if we truly bear the name of Christ and we're bold in sharing his word, his gospel with with those that are lost. People aren't going to like it, but he told us to do it. Moving on to Jeremiah chapter 1, starting in verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you before you were born, I consecrated you. I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Alas, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak because I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, because everywhere, everywhere I send you, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Now all this was established Before Jeremiah was a Jeremiah, it said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So before he was even conceived, God knew Jeremiah. Now this word knew stuck out to me, so I did a little study on it. The Hebrew word is yadah. Yada is God's knowledge of man, which, brings, which begins before birth. And Yada has many, many aspects to it. It can be a very basic knowledge, but as we see here, it can be a very intimate knowledge. Some other uses of Yada in the scriptures in Genesis. Now the man Yadah, his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. An intimate, very intimate knowledge. Very personal. Another instance in Genesis. For God, Yadah, that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. Yadah, good and evil. And the third example I have here For the Lord yadah the way of righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. That's from Proverbs. Just like Jeremiah, God yadah you before you were you. In Romans... Chapter 9. I'm going to start in verse 15. For he says to Moses, and this is Paul speaking, and now a quote from God, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Paul speaking again, verse 16. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, another quote from God, For this very purpose I raised you up, to demonstrate my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. And Paul speaking again in verse 18. So then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who resists his will? On the contrary, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? Or does not the potter have a right over the clay to make from the same lump one one vessel for honorable use and another for common use? What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon the vessels of mercy, which he prepared for beforehand, for glory. I'm not going to dig too deep into this one today because there's a lot here. But just as Paul said, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? See, just like some of these other men that we've read about, God had a clear purpose for them. But they didn't know it. God has a clear purpose for you, too. And you may not know it. But that's because he yada you was all ordained before you were even conceived. In my conclusion, which don't get too excited, it's kind of like... um, the birthing pains to the end the end times, it could be a while yet. But I have to wrap all this together into a little package for you the, the last two weeks of all this stuff that we've looked at because I've thrown a pile of scripture at you. So I've given you your notes um, so you can go back and reread any of those scriptures and, and study them for yourselves. This is an enormous study. I haven't even scratched the surface on this. God sovereignly owns you. He owns you by creation, as we've seen. He created you. He created me. He owns you and me just by that very fact. We are His. We are His creation. But in our case, being believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, being brothers and sisters in Christ, there's another ownership. Ownership by redemption. If you look at 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, it says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price, Therefore, glorify God in your body. That's double ownership, Christian. He owns you twice. Because He owns you, He controls you. This is where it gets difficult for us. Sometimes it can be hard to deal with this in conjunction with. The amount of free will that we do have in the choices that we make. I've got two ways here in which God controls you. Indirect control. So he can control you by the weather. Just like Jonah, he can cause a storm. And if you've been through a big storm, whether it's a tornado or a hurricane even a really bad blizzard. I'm pretty sure whatever you had planned for that day probably got changed. It wasn't just a coincidence. Just this weather thing happened. We already saw the weather is in God's hands. He has, like he says in Job, the storehouses for the snow. Do you know where they are? He asked Job. Nope, don't know where they are. But when he opens them, it snows. And then I wanted to get the animals in there. So my next one was controlled by wildlife. I was more looking at the fish and stuff, but kind of following Pastor Fred's deal. Got to keep the W's going. So we got the the weather and then the wildlife. So it fits, though. Because if you've ever been driving down the highway, especially in this part of the country at night in the dark, and this thing calls a deer bolts in front of you and you can't even begin to slow down, you just smashed your car. And sometimes even the deer got up and ran away. Well, your plans just change for wherever you're going to go or whatever you're going to do because now your car's broke and you can't get there. Not a coincidence all by the hand of God. If you're out hunting, if you're a hunter, or maybe you're a runner or a hiker, and you're out on a trail, come across a grizzly bear, I guarantee you, your plan's just changed. You're not going to go the same direction you were just going. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, this is never by coincidence. All things happen by the hand of God. He can control it all, and he does control it all. The third element I added to this is control by wealth. I didn't really touch on wealth, but we saw in a couple places where God controls wealth. One of them is in 1 Chronicles 29. um, Chapter 29, verse 12, just the first portion. Both riches and honor come from you. Now as you're thinking through your plans of life and you're on a pretty good course, you get a good paying job, all of a sudden something happens and you lose your job. Or you get hurt and you can't work for many, many months. Your income just changed. Your level of wealth just changed. Probably the way you're thinking just changed. It's because God wanted it to change. Maybe you got a job offer. Hey, I can make more money over here. You get the job. God lets you have that job because he wants you over there. Probably somebody you need to be talking to. Maybe you didn't get the job. Now you're depressed. Remember Eeyore from last week? Well, I guess God doesn't want me to have a good job. Well, he just doesn't want you to have that job. Part of the problem is we define success by the amount of money we make. Generally in Scripture, that's not how success is defined. Sure, we have, like Job, Job was a rich man. Then he had everything taken from him. Then we get to the end. Oh yeah, he uh, got everything back twofold. That's great. But you know what? I believe if we could ask Job today what was the greatest blessing, losing everything or gaining it back twofold, I'd be willing to bet he's going to tell you losing everything because he got to know his God like he never knew his God before all those events, as terrifying as they would have been for a man. And then there's direct control. Sometimes God just makes you do stuff. Proverbs 16.9 The mind of man plans his way but the Lord directs his steps. We looked at this one earlier. God can change your mind. He can change your heart. Have you ever had one of those experiences where you planned on doing something and then you changed your mind? Not even sure really why but you changed your mind. That's probably influence of God right there. Maybe something comes up, somebody needs help with something, or somebody's struggling with something, but it's a person that maybe isn't very nice. And you know, I just don't really want to just only want to deal with that person. They're just, just just a nasty person. And then all of a sudden you have a change of heart and you feel like, you know what, I need to go help that person. Well, you know what? You didn't change your heart. God did. Because He wanted you to go help that person because that person is there for you to witness to them, to bring them out of their nasty lifestyle, become a Christian like us so they can work on becoming a better person. As I read this scripture several times in the couple places I used it, a phrase kept coming to my mind from my great grandfather. I didn't know him very well. He was quite old and I was quite young, hence the great part. But he had, a, he had this phrase he would say, especially if he was going to get up out of a chair or something, legs don't fail me now. And I got to thinking about that and I thought, how, how appropriate is that in light of this scripture? We can have faith that even when we're thinking wrong, God is still controlling our footsteps and our legs aren't going to fail us. Because God won't fail us. So, I wanted to leave you with this thought. We talked about the Eeyore Christian, and the Winnie the Pooh thing kind of stuck with me as I was going through this thing, and I realized there's a couple more applications we can get from Winnie the Pooh. Because we had the Eeyore, well, why even try? It's too hard or impossible well then you got the piglet christian scared of everything piglet was scared of his shadow scared of everything i mean look at what we've had going on in our society you get the the covid shots well there's another example of god's sovereignty right there we don't need to be fearful of them we are thinking people and pastor fred has talked on it at times we know there's some bad stuff going on there but god's still in control did some people die from it and some not? Because there's another saying that I clung to from a a pastor. I can't say it quite like he does because he's a big, big guy. His name is David Hawking. Great big, uh, I think he's Jewish actually, in a big, deep, booming voice. And you know what he would say? You're going to die on time. Because God's already set the numbers of your days on this earth. So don't worry about dying. Worry about honoring God with those days. Serving Him. Growing in your knowledge of your God. Because God's controlling your steps. Your legs aren't going to fail you now. The third application I got out of Winnie the Pooh was Winnie the Pooh himself. Not the best application, but Winnie Pooh, Winnie the Pooh, everyone knows, loves honey. So I took That, let's switch it over to the real bear, which we know real bears love honey. We got them around here, and you know, those guys are bold. The bear Christians are the bold ones, because they go in there, that bear, he goes in, there's that beehive sitting there, and he just crushes the pieces. He's got thick hide, so the bees are trying to sting him, and he doesn't even care. He's just going after, he's going for that honey. Well, that's the way we need to be as Christians. We should all be the bear Christian. Be bold knowing that God is in control, not only of you, but of everybody around you. So what can man do to me? As the scripture says. Be bold in your faith, know that God is in control, and go out and serve Him. Let's pray. Lord God, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for how it speaks to us, how it grows us up as Christians. Lord, help us to be those bold Christians. Help us to trust in you and your sovereignty, to know you better and to be willing to go into the darkest places to share your word with the people that need it. And just pray that this little body of believers would be a bright light in this community. We pray for our pastor and his wife as they're on vacation and finishing up their vacation. We pray that they would be well rested and we look forward to having them back next week. In Jesus' name, amen.